This is Loika Darkroom. This is where we share stories and celebrate the success of photographers in the Web3 space. I'm your host, Pam Voth. Let's go into the darkroom and see what develops. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sloika Darkroom. It's Friday, and on Fridays we always dive into some nerdy tech stuff uh, with Ev. So um, we're ready to do that, and so happy that uh, everyone could join us for this uh, Friday edition of the Sloika Darkroom. Ev has some uh, cool information to share with us. There's been a lot going on this week, hasn't there, Ev? <laughs> oh yeah, um, the the week has been pretty busy. We had uh, we went through the merge. <laughs> the merge happened. Uh, and it's been a success. We actually were hosting a live, a live space uh, during the merge. We had uh, some amazing uh, speakers and some amazing questions that were asked. Um, I think I'm feeling a little bit um, uh, vindicated with, with the fact that <laughs> so many big marketplaces and platforms announced uh, pausing of transactions pre-merge. And um, hey, everything went smoothly, <laughs> um, just as expected. Obviously, there's always things that might go wrong. Um, in case of the merge, that was really smooth. You know, the only thing that happened, there's so many people that wanted to do things right after the merge. So they uh, basically caused gas to spike quite a bit. Um, and it was, you know, going down, down and down as say same it is today, like around like five or seven quay. And immediately after the merge, it spiked about 100. And totally understand, you know, people want to make some history, make their first proof of stake uh, purchases or minting. And there's been some projects that uh, did their first NFTs uh, with uh, proof of stake. That was pretty exciting. But uh, a day later, gas is back to normal. And I'm really, really happy because I was worried that uh, if the gas is spiky <laughs> as, as it was, maybe... Uh, maybe something went wrong and we just don't know about it. Uh, but I'm glad that it returned to the, uh, uh, I wouldn't say normal levels because those levels are pretty low and for a reason. Uh, but yeah, that's been quite um, optimistic to to see that. Yeah, that was a pretty fun time uh, hanging out with everybody in the community, <laughs> watching the countdown and uh, everyone. I, I know we had a lot of uh, kind of last minute talks about like how to keep your wallet safe and how do you, you know, have safe practices when you're doing anything in Web3 with crypto and everything? So um, it, was, it was a good time. Um, we, ha we have all of that recorded so um, people can have a listen if you didn't have a chance to join us live at that point. But yeah, it was uh, it was an early morning for me and a late night for you. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't it oh uh, yes yes it was it was a bit um difficult to you know stay, stay up actually um but yeah so the, the you know there's a couple of things that happened after the merge uh, just kind of like to recap on that um first of all nfts still represent the largest portion of what's clogging ethereum today um i'm looking at the uh last 24 hours and it's 36 percent is the nft activity uh with the second largest is DeFi and a lot of other stuff uh taking a smaller portions of ethereum available uh, block space uh ethereum started to become uh, not uh inflationary as it was before before the issuance was around four to five percent of ethereum per year so you can treat it as inflation basically uh it became I would say stable for now. So the issuance is now close to 0%. Uh, 
uh, which means that basically there is no new ETH being issued, uh, at least for now. And uh, if the gas will be spiking, then it will become more deflationary. So kind of like good news for people that, uh, yeah, that use Ethereum because uh, or store some Ethereum because potentially that might increase the price in the longer term. Um, so that's been uh, kind of like the beginnings of that. Uh, yeah, proof of stake. We had some uh, we had some sales after proof of uh, stake uh, merge, and there's been some activity. So that was pretty exciting to see as well uh, to see that artists are trying to explore. You know the. Um, uh, the 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 new feeling that is associated with that, and uh, the latest report I, I talked about this. I forgot uh, the name of this company. There was like a weird, um, yeah. Let me find it. Like a crypto carbon company um, that did their research. Uh, crypto carbon ratings institute. Never heard of them before. Hopefully they're doing good job. Um, but they have indicated that uh, after the proof of stake happened the co2 emissions with ethereum are reduced by 99.992 percent so uh quite dramatic improvement basically it's the same like if you ever uh left any light switches on with any lights on at home well you're using more electricity than you're using on uh ethereum with all the nfts or DeFi activity that you're doing so that's pretty that's pretty good signal i would say yeah, that does sound like a really good signal. I know there were a lot of uh, people, photographers that I know, I, I tend to know a lot of photographers who do like wildlife and things having to do with nature. And um, uh, several of them were getting, you know, like quite, um, I don't know, get into conversations that were quite heated um, when they were trying to get into NFTs. And of course, NFTs are a way for photographers to get another revenue stream and connecting with collectors directly and all those really good things. But um, there was just some information out there that was, you know, really getting uh, shared actively about the whole environmental impact of everything. And um, I think with what happened on the 15th, you know, with the uh, with the merge happening and and the energy consumption being reduced by such a huge amount, um, you know, that argument really um, just needs to kind of fizzle away and we can move forward with this new world. Well, yeah, that, that, that's um, that's fairly correct. Um, I, I, we'll, we'll probably see, like, I, I don't think there will be any immediate um, surge uh, in Ethereum interest because of this. It's not like people were just waiting for this moment. Uh, I'm sure that people who are familiar with the merge that was uh, kind of like on track to happen all the way from kind of like it, there was a high degree of confidence that it will happen from around Ju may or june of this year and so that is just a, a final you know transition that happened um and so for everybody it, it's it sort of was inevitable there's no need to wait until that actually happens again kind of like we d d explored in previous spaces that um whether you use ethereum or not the blocks will still be happening so it, it's it, it's uh it's a weird thing where your activity or your inactivity kind of doesn't really uh, affect the uh, uh, like basically how much energy is being used. But what's affecting this is how many miners are competing for specific blocks. And that's what uh, increases the uh, hash difficulty. Again, this is all in the past. So <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're done with this. Uh, but 
before that happened, uh, it's not the use uh, by, let's say, creators or people who are buying, selling, minting NFTs, but actually by the miners competing with each other. And so if there's more miners, then there is a, a higher uh, hash rate that was required uh, to mine the same amount of blocks. And basically, the more competition there is, the more energy it was consuming. Um, and so the same was Bitcoin. You know, when it was in the early stages and there was like very few miners, mining Bitcoin was easy and you could do it uh, in the early days. You can do it on your computer. You didn't need all the sophisticated mining rigs and optimizing for like max efficiency. You could just run your laptop back in you know 2009 and uh, get rewards this way um and obviously as more and more people piled on on this and that became more lucrative then uh, it became kind of like a, a race for efficiency a race to get uh better mining rigs and, and optimize for that so um quite exciting that's in it's in the past and yeah that clears up a, a lot of things uh going forward so um, the next few stages will help optimize Ethereum. Uh, there are some interesting, actually, technologies. Uh, I'll just touch on one before before we move on. But one of those is compression algorithms that allow to compress more of the on-chain data so that it becomes more efficient. And potentially, that alone can reduce the costs uh for like, let's say for, you know, for our cases, uh, minting NFTs and stuff like this by around half or so. Uh, and that just compressing text that's involved in this, which is pretty, like, I, I thought there was nothing to be done, but then uh, there's a lot more smarter people than me who are doing research in optimizing for text compression um, and kind of like that blockchain data compression. And once that's live, which is like one of the next phases of Ethereum, that might actually itself reduce the cost associated with uh, minting uh, on-chain by about half. So that's that's pretty big, I would say. Sounds like it. Um, so we, do you have any, um, you, you said that like there's more things happening after the merge. Like what else, what are the other steps or are, are there any anything that is visible to like the public that's going on um, after the merge as far as what we'll see or what we'll hear about? Yeah, I, I was just chatting with, with some people that attended the uh, the merge call with Ethereum Foundation. I was not up for that because it was happening early in the morning. Um, I think there will be a more detailed roadmap as to which parts they will tackle first. Um, but basically, a lot of work will be happening with the compression algorithms, which is, again, part that does not need the rest of the com it's sort of like, you know, can be done in parallel, which is the best part. Um, and the other part is, oh my God, I'm blanking right now. Um, is that, oh, use uh, of uh, L2 chains to store a lot more data. So there's been uh, platforms like Optimism, for example, uh, that allows you to sort of transact almost for free. Um, and the, the, you know, what they do is that they wait for a whole bunch of transactions uh, they're all happening on parallel chain or like, you know, L2 chain and different layer. Um, and when a whole bunch of those transactions are fixed, they can make a summary of this and put it back into L1. But not the whole data, but just kind of like the output as in like, hey, we want to make sure that 
the transactions that happened on L2 are secured with the same, like Ethereum basically pays for that security. And they are secure by having a hash or some sort of kind of like a receipt that says, yep, all those blocks uh, that happened on L2 are exist and valid uh, and Ethereum as the uh, layer one is basically guaranteeing that they will not be changed or if they are changed, there will be change in signature and that will be detected by the apps or you know whatever the uh, clients uh, are being used for that. So long story short, for people who are doing um, blogging, like for example, I, re- I recently blogged and uh, Sushan actually became one of my uh, supporters by collecting, uh, I, I don't know how, like, Let's call it a, a mini tip uh, by tipping this article. That actually happened on the Optimism network. And as the result of this, I didn't pay for this. It's on chain. There is a transaction, but it was free. And I assume that Mirror, this blogging platform, subsidized this tiny little bit. Maybe it cost them a, a cent or a tenth of a cent. And they basically can subsidize this um, by themselves. And more of these things will be happening because again this is a blogging it's uh it's just it's just uh, a bit of text and uh and a link and maybe some rv uh, link to this so it's becoming a lot more efficient and we've seen this efficiency going from where people uh would pay like 400 bucks to mint a photo i still think it's ridiculous that we went through this uh, but it did happen. There's a blockchain record about this that it happened uh, to today where you can put data on chain basically for free with a few, you know, optimizations and hacks. Um, that's really exciting. That's basically kind of like, you know, paves the way to have all important data on chain. And I, I, I cannot kind of like overestimate how important this is because uh, I wish there was a LinkedIn that's on chain, you know, when you don't have to rely whether people tell you the truth or not, whether they're like, you know, um, fluffing, uh, uh, making their, uh, what is it called? Like making their resumes look better uh, than they are. When you can just, you know, have a proof on chain where a company would be like, yep, we'll issue this POAP or something that you work there and we'll issue POAP for every, I don't know, quarter or a year that you spent with us. Um, same with education, you know, give me a pop for every course that I take. Uh, and those things, and again, they can be non-transferable. So maybe there's a separate wallet for all your academic achievements and uh, a wallet for your uh, professional achievements. That is, you know, that's, that's a very interesting proposal. And I think there's a lot of teams that are probably already working in that particular, uh, you know, building those particular tools. Wow. There's a lot, lot of new stuff coming. Um, speaking of POAPs, uh, you you had your own special soulbound uh, token that um, proved that you were there when and where the uh, the merge happened. Um, tell I know I know we talked about it the other day, but uh, what was your impression of the experience of having that, and how do you feel about the fact that it's now in your wallet and never can be removed or <laughs> traded, erased? burned or anything well yeah that's that's true it's not a pop uh per se but but yeah in in a way it is but uh let's say it's more like an nft uh proof of merge that's what it's called you can see it in my wallet and the uh the beauty of this is that it's non-transferable so this is one of those uh nfts that exist to provide this 
kind of like a milestone, you know, like we, we don't think about milestone and the origin of this, but uh, those were stones that were put every mile, you know, on the road, because that's how things were done in the old days. Um, and this is the same way. This is like a, a digital milestone that uh, you like myself and other people who minted this, for example, that they have uh, been there before the merge uh, and so they had this uh and again like it seems silly because we're all here but imagine looking back at this in 2030 and telling your like i don't know kids or wh whoever that like yep i've been there when there was a proof of work <laughs> and i uh you know we went through the merge and that was the great uh time to be alive uh it, it might feel this way I, I don't know. Maybe we'll forget about this. Maybe it will be a great. Uh, it's like imagining that we would have only horses in cities, and uh, and now we don't. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard some funny stories about the horses <laughs> because it used to be that you know the horses were used to haul around the wagons full of the stuff, and nowadays. People put the horses in the in the trailer and then they drive the horses around so that they can get the horses where they want them to go to go riding them. But yeah, it's a um, yeah. I think it will really mark a very interesting point in history um, that you know you were here uh, before proof of stake and um, yeah, just uh, I think it's a it is a really cool point in time. It was really it was interesting to see it go down and. Um, you know, and just hang out with a bunch of people while while it was happening. So um, I, I look forward to learning more and more as all of us do as, as everything moves on about, you know, the compression algorithms and, and all of this uh, new use of L2 chains and all of that. So um, really cool. I'm glad that you're here to help guide us through all that. For sure. And, and like I, I'm doing the same well, I guess the same thing, like I would go deep in one particular uh, new development and I would read and watch YouTube videos and read blog posts and read technical documentation. And then I'm like, OK, <laughs> let's say I'm about like, you know, deep enough to uh, bring it back home and uh, explain it in simple terms and especially the not just the technology itself, but the timing and uh, advantages that it might potentially bring. Um, you know, there's some things that I'm particularly ex excited, like sharding. And sharding is both very uh, exciting and scary. And basically what it will do, this is something what we might expect probably not earlier than about 18 months. Uh, it will create 64 Ethereums out of one Ethereum. Um, so potentially it's going to get 64 times faster because there will be 64 times the block space, uh, for, you know, that exists today. And so if currently we're transacting on average about 15 transactions per second, something like that, then we'll be able to do so times 64. So that's going to be one of those improvements together with compressions, together with L2. That's the goal, uh, kind of like a, I guess a holy grail. Uh, for Ethereum to get to 10,000 transactions per second and then ultimately to 100,000 per second. Um, 
at 10,000 per second, we will have Ethereum that's closely related to Visa network, which always been like uh, that goal is like, hey, Visa can do this, then uh, maybe decentralized Ethereum should be able to do so too. Um, and frankly, there's blockchains that are available today that are uh, they're able to transact uh, that quickly uh, because they were just built a little bit later. Uh, they took um, hints from inability for Bitcoin or Ethereum to transact quickly. And so in in their protocols, in the whole design, they were basically uh, making it uh, slightly easier and faster to transact or not slightly, like, you know, dramatically. Uh, and so Ethereum now has to do a catch up. Uh, but the uh, you know why it took so long is 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 a very simple reason that it's the most decentralized blockchain that exists today. It's it's the one that requires the most consensus, and consensus is not easy. That's why we have this conversation with like Ethereum proof of work uh, forks happening, uh, because you need uh, to rally you know ten thousand different nodes that exist on the network. You need to rally. Uh, tens of thousands of developers that are building on Ethereum and obviously like millions of users that use Ethereum. I don't know how many active wallets are right now, but probably within kind of like probably within like two to five million. Uh, there's better data than uh, than my uh, guesses, but we're probably in tens of millions of wallets right now. Um, at least the last I've seen for MetaMask, they um, had 10 million users at some point. Uh, not not so not so long. Not so long ago. Um, but yeah, so there's one other topic that I kind of like the main topic is accelerating photo sales. Um, I think it's uh, quite interesting. And it took a lot of conversations with a lot of photographers in DMs. There's some that are in listeners right now. Um, and this is something I would really love to um, unpack, uh, help kind of like share our vision. Uh, and this is mostly you know, related to like, like, what do we see from bird's eye view? I don't know how, I don't know how, how we call it. Like, what do we see as being collectors, as being photographers, as being platform builders? Um, and what do we think can potentially help uh, photographers? Yeah, I think we should dive into that. Um, we've got, since we do have a lot of photographers in, in our audience right now, uh, maybe also some collectors as well. But um, yeah, I, I um, if anyone didn't receive the Sloika newsletter, of course, please subscribe to the Sloika newsletter and you'll get um, a really awesome article every week, as well as uh, some highlights of the drops that have happened over the past week. Um, so it's a it's a real easy um, thing to do. We just we don't spam or anything. We just uh, get you on our uh, newsletter subscription list, so uh, you can get this great information. But yeah, I think um, we should dive into that. And and what what have you found after talking with photographers and also collectors about good good strategies or things to consider to help boost up the sales uh, given their con current conditions and the market and everything. Right. Well, so so first of all, uh, if if anybody has uh, want to come up as a speaker, share their um, uh, insights and what they see in the market um, as their personal experience, that would be great. Um, I can share basically two two sides of this. One is as being a collector myself. Um, I think I'm crossing 150 NFTs, uh, most of them photography, like 95% photography or so, uh, with the last few exceptions of like proof of uh, uh, proof of merge and a couple of others, but also related to photography in a way. Um, 
and as uh, a photographer who has my editions on Tezos, uh, who has editions and one-on-ones on uh, Foundation and on Sloika. So, oh, well, and on OpenSea, but those, I don't think anybody bought those uh, actually on OpenSea. So might want to might want to revisit those. Um, and so the the two things that were so kind of like from from personal experience, uh, what I would see is that there is three tiers of uh, collectors. There are collectors that are dealing with uh, art that is one on one that is usually from either established or like, you know, fast uh, photographers that are rising fast. Um, and, you know, the, the way that they can rise fast is that other collectors would find them uh, or they have a really good communication skills or marketing skills or their art is uh, special and unique. So there's kind of like different inputs that goes into this. Um, and I think we've seen that some um, artists are great communicators and they don't necessarily need to have um, kind of like am amazingly unique art but they can have good sales uh, because of that. And kind of like, you know, there's probably a lot to unpack, um, but the, you know, the collectors would uh, look for grails and that's where we see sales. There's usually not a lot of those of like 12 ETH, 20 ETH, uh, 25 ETH. Um, I forgot the person who is doing kind of like a bit of summary, but there's one uh, Twitter uh, account that summarizes weekly sales uh, based by the highest sale in photography, which is quite cool. I think I shared that once or twice. Um, it gives a good insight as to, uh, first of all, how exciting it is to get a sale in like $20,000, $30,000 range, uh, beyond my expectations, obviously. So I'm not a professional photographer, I'm a hobbyist, so kind of like that's not my forte anyway. But it is exciting to see photographers who can have a good quality living through making of their art and basically have this you know, combination of marketing themselves well, having amazing art and having some successes uh, in real world. So whether it's exhibits or book deals and things like this, those are obviously very helpful. But when we look at the numbers and collectors, we all know those collectors. You know, there's uh, probably like 10 or 20 that we can name and they're all well known. And uh, I'm sure their DMs are as packed as as mine with people, um, you know, trying to sell their work or having those chats, communications, um, and what's not happening in um, kind of like behind the scenes. So it's really hard to get their attention. And so I do believe that it's important for every photographer to have one of those grails. You know, everybody has amazing photos, even if you only have iPhone you probably have some amazing uh, images. And so you can treat them as your grails and basically market them at a higher price than you would normally think they're worth just to establish this. You know, if you, if you remember, there was a gold Apple Watch, <laughs> which was a ridiculous thing to, to have. But yet for Apple, that was important to kind of like uh, signal that hey those you know $300 apple watches that we're selling or whatever they were for the first edition we also have uh, if you're into like rolexes and all the uh, you know gold plated watches we have this as well so you can consider now you know your rolex or whatever uh 
I guess like that's how many for, for, uh, watch firms I know, or uh, the uh, you know gold plated uh, Apple Watch, and it's just kind of like anchoring that's happening a lot in the industry. Whether you buy software, whether you buy uh, anything else, there is some um, something to anchor and say like, hey, this is the top of the you know best of the best, our latest, our our best uh, effort, and so it's priced accordingly, and so not everybody can afford it. Uh, but obviously for, you know, what we call whale collectors, uh, they are into this spending few ETH, you know, three, five, 10, 20 ETH on, on the artwork is not an issue. Is that there's only like, you know, 20 of those people that are collecting maybe, you know, two or three pieces. So dealing with two, 300, how many people do we have? Like, I don't know. 200,000 photographers maybe in Web3 by now, maybe 100,000. Um, it, it's it's basically a lot of uh, noise uh, that those collectors have to go through. And they have to read about the uh, photographer's story. You have to connect with them. They have to understand that you're there for a long-ish term. I don't think that anybody expects that you will be there forever. Uh, but at least like that you're committed enough to to weather some of those down markets, like bear markets as we have right now. Um, the second part is the what I would call, and you know, we called it in the article like meat tier. Um, and this is, I might kind of like put myself in this category potentially, but those are the entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs in tech, um, some smaller collectors, and basically supporters of artists um, that are able to spend some less than the big whale collectors, but more than uh, the third tier where, you know, we'll get to this, which I probably belong more than uh, any other one. And the mid-tier, you know, from what we are finding uh, and talking to those collectors, a, a big chunk of those are actually entrepreneurs. Um, they are, you know, they have their tech companies, they have their Web3 companies, they have their NFT companies, and uh, either for the love of arts or for, you know, furthering their agenda or for a lot of other things, they're collecting photography or, you know, kind of like not the PFPs, but actually from real artists, um, illustrators, you know, graphic artists and so on and so forth. And the range that we're seeing that they collect is usually between somewhere at like uh, 0.25 to about 5 ETH range. Uh, Obviously, this is not like a hard, uh, like not a hard border uh, on one side or the other side, but it does feel that um, they have a bit of a upper limit that they are, you know, cannot go uh, beyond possibly because they they might be staking some of their ETH and uh, earning that, or maybe it's the company money, or maybe it's uh, their money that they're buying ETH at either market or below market prices. It's really hard to uh, to tell, but in essence, you know, we communicated with a lot of those collectors. Uh, they buy slightly more than whales, uh, obviously because uh, the price points are a little bit uh, cheaper for them. Uh, but and there's more of those, so kind of like instead of twenty people that buy photography on a whale level, I don't know if we can say this. Like, is it whale level or not? Uh, they are the ones who are buying uh, sort of like more what they like. 
so they might support photographer who is just nice to them uh, or buy photographer who is up and coming and pay uh, the price that the photographer requested without looking too much or like bargaining or doing all sort of things, uh, which we're seeing a lot more of in the bear market where people would have deals where you uh, buy one piece and some other pieces transferred to you. So you get, you know, two by one. And there's some specific implications that happens with this. Um, somebody on a different space was complaining that they should have known that when you transfer, there's no pricing attached to this. And so that generates like a little bit of this weirdness where people might look at this and be like, oh, well, um, it's been transferred and you don't know what's the... Uh, What's the motive? What's the uh, like whether the money has been transferred or it's just, you know, there's uh, no demand for this and it's been uh, transferred as a gift or something like that. So it's kind of like important. I feel like there will be a need to add specific note on chain. Like you transfer and you put a note that everybody can uh, follow on chain that says, hey, this is what happened. Uh, and so I'm transferring because we made uh, a deal or like, you know, whatever the reason might be for that. Um, it's hard to estimate how many mid-tier collectors there are, but probably in mid-hundreds. Um, this is just kind of like an assessment from seeing um, the data from OpenSea, the data from Foundation and SuperRare. Uh, we are trying to track all of the marketplaces uh, that are you know, trending or that are doing, you know, decently in, in those times and, and, and looking at collectors and looking at the artworks that are selling. So this is a bit of a anecdotal evidence. So it's not tabulated in any way, but all of the marketplaces are accessible. They have their analytics uh, done either through DAP Raider, that uh, one of the apps that I use, or through Dune Analytics, where uh, its on-chain data is visible. And so you can see basically how much money they're making um, and so on. And it, this is kind of useful because uh, you would see that with the crash, the volume of NFTs stayed relatively stable, but the prices in fiat and in ETH uh, started to go down. So there is still a lot of interest in um, in NFTs, in buying, selling, and trading. Uh, but on average, the fiat price went down because now we have ETH at like, what, 1500 1400 <laughs> It's going down pretty rapidly. Uh, yeah, almost 1400 now. So it's been uh, on a declining curve the last uh, couple of days. Um, and so it's down... Um, let's see. It's down quite a lot from uh, from yeah, the. Uh... It's like fourteen twenty four, according to what I've got. Oh, that's uh, euros. Sorry, <laughs> got. That, that's pretty close. Yeah. So it's down yeah, it seventy percent. Yeah, it's down seventy percent from uh, its height of uh, forty eight hundred. And so in fiat currency, well, you have this drop of seventy percent. On top of this, the average uh, price of the art NFT, like photo NFT or art NFT, also went down. Uh, and so that, in absolute terms, meant that from the very top, it's now down between 80 to 85% on average, uh, like across big marketplaces that trade with uh, you know hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so, but the amount of NFTs sold stayed kind of relatively stable or even started in increasing. So that is potentially a good sign. Um, and so, yeah, realistically, there's like a, this mid-tier, you might be targeting a few hundred people 
uh, I would estimate it like, let's say 500 people uh, that are actively buying photography art uh, at that range of 0.25 to maybe up, upward to 5 ETH. And so the last range as we uh, are getting to like a lower priced works are the, uh, you know, people like us, collector, uh, like, you know, creators who are collectors that uh, support fellow artists. And I'm seeing this more and more every day. You know, there's an artist uh, like Mike Schmidt who just sold his test work and immediately committed to buying uh, 50% of what the proceeds were from that sale. He sold it to um, Tedus Foundation, I think for like 15, I don't know, whatever the price is, and basically committed to uh, support other artists with that. So same as in global economy, like the dollar usually goes around like four or five times and there's a multiplier effect. The same thing happening in uh, Ethereum where if you have a sale as a photographer, a lot of people turn around and say like, I'm going to go and support my fellow artists that have uh, less luck than, than myself. And, and so, you know, for people like me, I committed to give back 150%. So anything that I sell as NFTs, I'm putting back more than I spent. And, and that was kind of like part of my public promises. Um, I need to start buying more. So I'll, I'll do some posts because I haven't been, uh, I, I bought some photography yesterday, but there was, uh, the merge took a lot of time uh, out of my day um, to, to prepare, to make sure that every artist feels uh, informed about the merge and that there's no misconceptions that are floating around. Um, but with that range where artists support artists, obviously those are works that are purchased from somewhere between 0.01 to about half an ETH range. And this is the obviously the biggest category we're seeing, you know, tens of thousands of people, photographers and artists that are doing that. And photographers are buying non-photography and non-photographers are buying photography. So it's a pretty robust market in itself. Um, and it's probably... Like, frankly, I think from volume perspective, that's probably even bigger than uh, what the whales are buying because whales have this uh, kind of like very targeted uh, buying that they're, you know, doing. And some of them will spend maybe 50 ETH, uh, which is a lot for an individual collector, obviously. Uh, but, you know, as an aggregate, tens of thousands of photographers buying artworks for 0 0.01, 0 0.025, 0.0, of those editions uh, that, that are happening around can, in aggregate, have a lot more volume. Um, and so in thinking about all this, like seeing how the market's starting to, well, first of all, kind of like the top of the market will be moving up top. A lot faster this is kind of like inevitable uh it's it's been happening across every industry that you can think of that the top of the market the top photographers that have this escape velocity of charging you know 5e 10e 20th will continue to charge dramatically more uh, and likely to be successful in doing so because there will be demand for this you know top tier uh signaling and all of that um with with the art which is great for those artists uh the middle one i hope that we will have at least a year or two uh before middle uh tier starts to decline a little bit and that's also inevitable almost every industry goes through this where you know top tier goes uh a lot higher 
and the bottom starts creeping in. It doesn't mean that the art is uh, not good or anything. It usually means that the art is actually amazing. Uh, but what's happening is that a lot more people are entering the market. And so when we're thinking about this, the question is like, okay, let's say we have 100,000 photographers you know, experimenting in Web3 as it is today. What happens to your... I'm speaking kind of like as a creator to creator. What happens to you, like to your strategy or plans if there's a million photographers on the platform? How do we compete? Do we collaborate or do we compete? Do we, uh, you know, form robust collectives uh, that are more permanent in nature? Um, what happens if there's 10 million NFT photographers uh, or 100 million? Like if we look at Instagram, there is about 2 billion people using Instagram. Not all of them are photographers, but they produce content of some kind. You know, uh, it's either uh, reels or whatever they're called. I should be probably more, more active on Instagram, but most people already left. Uh, or they produce photography or they produce videos, uh, whether it's for like personal consumption or for their followers, you know, if they're an influencer uh, and so on. But in average, there's a lot more people with phones in their pockets, with cameras uh, on their shoulders that are producing a lot more content. And so when that happens, when we go from this 100,000 uh, people community to a million, a lot of things will have to change. And this is the same as, you know, Instagram went through as well. Like there's a lot more proliferation with preparation of what you do with the style and setting and you want to be more deliberate and there's experts that will tell you like only post on Tuesdays at nine o'clock. If you missed your window, don't post because you wouldn't get a reach. This is insane that there's now so many people who are experts on Instagram or TikTok charging good amount of money to teach others who are not so good at that. The same will be happening in the uh, in our community of photography NFTs or art NFTs uh, with the learnings that we have of like, how do we market? How do we promote? How do we stand out? Uh, what makes us different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, when, again, kind of like going back to this thing, like how do we accelerate the sales? And my thinking is that there has to be three different drops that every photographer starts to do. So instead of thinking, uh, oh, I'm going to do editions because editions are selling. It's more like I'll do editions because editions are selling. I'll do the, uh, you know, collections of one-on-ones for this mid-tier, for, uh, you know, this mid-tier collectors that are entrepreneurs um, or, you know, getting more serious in the art collection. And I'll do my holy grail uh, on top uh, on, you know, whatever people perceive the value of platforms uh, at a higher price so that it may sit there, it may sit there for three months or th three years, it doesn't really matter, as long as you can point to that and say, hey, one day I will find a buyer for this, and so let it sit and basically signal to the rest that um, the pricing for my Holy Grails is, you know, this particular one. And don't change the price because, again, it's on chain, you can see the provenance. Uh, it becomes a little bit weird if the price jumps from like 5 ETH to 10 ETH to 20 ETH to 1 ETH uh, up and down. That becomes just kind of like a harder for a collector to appreciate what exactly is happening with your art. But it doesn't mean that you cannot experiment in the mid-tier uh, or in the lower tier because you will expand your, your base of um, collectors this way. And I don't think they intersect. I don't think there is a particular person who usually spends 
you know, on additions, 0.04, something like this, that they suddenly will be buying uh, a 10 ETH work. I feel like it's a, such a big gap that it's not going to happen naturally. It might happen to some people. Like, you know, if I, uh, if I get hold of uh, 100 ETH, free and clear that, you know, I don't know, maybe an inheritance from uh, a crypto family of sorts. Uh, I might be going out and spending this on on art and artists uh, much more generously. And so I'm sure that might happen. Somebody might, you know, be lucky, uh, mint something and then sell it like uh, people did with board apes and crypto punks. So when that happens, uh, that change might occur. But for now, it seems to be pretty set in their way that you know creators will support fellow creators and they will spend a percentage of what they um, do in nft space to support other people just for fun of it like you know it's really fun to have uh, a photographer or an artist just be happy that you bought uh, their hundred dollar work uh it's pretty incredible you know i feel like it's 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 such a nice feeling uh, even, even, yeah, it's, it's just a nice feeling. So if you never collected from a fellow artist, uh, do so, I think it will make you happy. It's a, it's a very pleasant feeling. Um, but yeah, some photographers are starting to experiment across all of those tiers. Uh, as long as the work remains differentiated in some way, but still uh, similar to your style, to what you do. And a lot of people in the space are kind of like, you know, have their... Uh, style that's getting honed over over years or over months in crypto space, but you can start, you know, having uh, on the lowest tier, and again, lowest is a is not an absolute term. It just means that uh, you know there's some who are making open editions that are free. Uh, I minted a whole bunch of those. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any particular value, at least in the short term. Like, you know, you cannot resell this. Uh, but I, I minted a whole bunch of NFTs with uh, an open edition or with a, an edition of a thousand. And it's free and you pay just for gas. Um, and if you're lucky, you'll pay like, I don't know, between three and five dollars for gas. So it feels quite affordable and just be like, hey, you know what? Let it be in my wallet. Let's figure out what, what happens later. The liquidity of those mints is like zero. Like they're they're not going anywhere. It's hard to uh, sell them. They might be useful for like gifts <laughs> or giveaways where you might just uh, give it to people who are new to NFTs and be like, hey, you know what? I have some things that I can airdrop to you. Uh, that, that might seem a fun little use for those because if you didn't spend a lot on that, it's... Uh, uh, it's easy to part ways and uh, somebody else might be happy that, you know, they collected uh, a work or two from um, from photographers or artists that doing something nice. Um, and, and so I urge that we should all be experimenting across all of those three tiers and expanding. Maybe maybe there's a tier above top tier that I'm not thinking about. And maybe there's a tier above the additions or uh, below the additions, such as free mints. Uh, uh, free mints sounds like... <laughs> Sounds like, uh, you know, those uh, mints that you're eating. Uh, yeah, and so those free mints to just get uh, potential more collectors, maybe for the future. Maybe you'll do something for people who were curious enough to go on your website or to go somewhere and mint this particular piece, even if it's for free, and just 
say hello to them and start establishing those relationships and see where it goes. Well, these are really cool suggestions. So, um, do, and would you suggest, it sounds like this could be done simultaneously, right? I mean, the, the Holy Grail piece out there that's, like you said, signaling to the world that like, this is like my best work. This is like, um, you know, I, I, I can, I have this much value, but then also, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you can think about it, like maybe someone has a, a piece in the gallery or in a museum or something, but maybe they also have posters or they have um, something that they might sell at like a, an art fair, you know, like sidewalk art fair type of thing. And those are obviously maybe going to be, you know, not on the fanciest paper. They're not going to be framed. They're going to be more like you can flip, through a box with them you know that level of um of purchasing and then maybe also like postcards or something that's kind of like free and giveaway and all these might have the same image on them but they're produced and marketed in such a separate different way um and i'm not suggesting that it's the same image because as we talked about um it was last week uh where we were saying you know a one-on-one is a one-on-one and you wouldn't ever you know turn that of art into an addition but you're talking about like a different image altogether that would be presented at the sort of mid-range price or maybe even the lower range price um, than your Holy Grail piece. Well, well, um, these yeah, could be all done simultaneously, in other words. Absolutely, yeah. And and this is a very important point. Uh, it actually stems from my experience. Um, and again, I shared that before. Uh, I've never went to so many museums before starting with NFTs. Never. Like, I, I would love to visit a museum or two if I'm on vacation, uh, but I would never be so obsessed with visiting more and more museums uh, wherever I go. And this is just kind of like a, a bit of this finding mission of learning how the old, and I don't have like art education or anything like this. I have a business education. Uh, it's a it's a exciting world of how traditional art was uh, made and how it was marketed and how the relationships were between collectors or patrons um, and and artists. You know, not necessarily photographers, but that too. Um, that's a kind of like a, a fascinating story in itself, and, and I've shared kind of like a few tweets on that. But on the other side, you know, if I go to a gallery, uh, there will be artworks from a, a master at different price ranges. And, you know, there will be a one-on-one. Uh, like I went to a gallery outside of Toronto. Um, they had an amazing art pieces from an amazing um, painter. And her works, uh, one-on-ones, were in like five to $10,000 range. And there was just a few that are available. Then there were editions uh, that were printed on canvas, uh, basically, you know, taking a photo from her art and then um, reproduced on canvas. Those were in editions of 100, uh, which is pretty big for an edition and sold for about $600. Uh, so there's a big gap between 101, which is 10,000. And then there's a $600 uh, nice reproduction in a frame uh, for $600. And there's a, a hundred of those. Uh, they're not obviously all printed 100 at a time, which I found fascinating as well that, you know, it might be several of those produced and somebody would keep track of how many they are. Um, but they were sold at a price range, just kind of like this mid-tier. And then if mid-tier is inaccessible to you, they will have, you know, things like postcards or uh, smaller prints or like smaller reproductions that would be probably like in between... $70 range, the 50, it really depends on the gallery. The one that I went to, they had about in a $70 to $100 range for smaller unframed pieces. 
but they are numbered and they are with uh, the RE signature as well. So kind of like you, you get a little bit of that provenance with this. And those are very different tiers. And like if, if the artists want to go even lower than postcards, you know, like have postcards that are sold for like three, five bucks. And so at, at this price point, or there might be even silly things like mugs, you know, mugs or uh, uh, mouse pads. I don't know if anybody buys those anymore. But basically, like when you have the specific range and you like the art, you will have something that you're able to afford uh, as, a, as a person who comes in the gallery. And galleries, like, you know, that gallery was about 100 kilometers uh, away from Toronto. So there was a bit of a road trip, a bit of a weekend. And I'm like, I will probably not return to this gallery. So I need to make this decision, like, either right now or within, like, two hours. Maybe I'll walk, get a coffee and come back. Um, but it's going to be hard to come back uh, and make the decision because, first of all, the pieces might be gone if I like something. Uh, and second... Uh, obviously that's uh, kind of like out of my usual way to do so. But it is exciting that artists in traditional uh, world and real world, they understand this, uh, they do this, and they do not rush this. Like if you are, the artist is not there, the gallery uh, owner is there representing the art, you know, will share a lot of kind of like stories about how this artist uh, became more established, et cetera, et cetera. Those things uh, are putting less pressure on an artist. Like, imagine if there was an artist in space and be like, hey, sir, you know, uh, I'm sorry that I'm DMing you, but please buy my work. <laughs> uh, that would be a little uncomfortable for, I think, both of us. But because there's a little bit of this separation with the gallery that does the marketing, that was so much easier, I, I believe. Like, I don't know if that's uh, uh, higher efficiency, or not, but there was no pressure to, uh, you know, kind of like buy or not buy. And if, you know, one piece is not affordable to me, I can walk away with something that's worth, you know, $10, $20 and feel really good about this. That, you know, th there's a real artist with real support uh, with her signature on it. Um, and, and in the meantime, kind of like I can have my, uh, like fit within my budget for those, uh, kind of like frivolous purchases, uh, while on the road trip. Um, and so this is, I think very important because it's the same place. And so when you're dealing in the virtual space, it's the same thing. We have very short, uh, attention span these days, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that many of you are uh, sticking around in the space because, you know, our attention span these days is like six seconds and we're like, okay, on to the next thing. Um, the same goes for majority of collectors and people in, on the internet. It's really hard to make, uh, make the time to do the research, to find out what's true, what's not true. And so when you are guiding people to your you know, portfolio or your gallery, this is where those link tree uh, links help. But it's also just kind of like have all the price ranges. Like, hey, if, you're, if you want something you know, cheaper, click here. If you want something more unique, click here. And if you want my Holy Grail uh, at a higher price, click here. That will make it a lot easier instead of hunting different marketplaces uh, and be like, oh, is this person listed something or didn't list something? Is there something for sale or not for sale? 
obviously there's a lot more organization that will be happening in spaces to make it a lot easier to find, uh, like to search and find. And there's been a lot of work done uh, actually by OpenSea to start coordinating different and aggregating different uh, uh, listings in one place from different marketplaces, which I think is really net positive because, well, yeah, like you go to Amazon for, well, some of us go to Amazon for exactly the same reason. You just find everything you need there. And just if you search enough, you'll find good stuff and bad stuff and knockoffs. Uh, and yeah, it's basically kind of like similar thing. Uh, and I think it's important. So if you don't have it in addition and you have uh, a collection that's struggling, maybe you're just not hitting the right uh, buyer for that. Uh, and if your collection are, or editions are going too well, that you're selling a lot of those, uh, that some are really, you know, I'm really happy that some of those, some people do have this problem where their editions are selling too quickly. Then it's important to have an offer for mid-tier and top-tier collectors at specific price points with specific stories and obviously everything else that we shared on different spaces that uh, would help to differentiate why this work is important. Uh, and yeah, I would say like if we passed this time where we would limit to one work uh, was, you know, remember when we had messages where like, oh, don't have too many unsold works. I think we're at the point where people now starting to like to shop uh, and want to have uh, a nice mix. I'm not saying that, you know, minting a million would help you, uh, but it's probably like a nice mix of that. You're not selling just one edition, like sell two or three editions or four editions, because uh, I've seen so many photographers who DM'd me and be like, please buy my edition. And I'm like, I don't feel it. I like you as a person. I love you as a person, but I just don't feel this particular work it doesn't work in my gallery that i'm putting together i wish you had a different edition like just you know give me a different edition i'll buy from you uh, and i feel like it may not just be me who is struggling with this and so for photographers do not treat this edition as like okay i have to sell this one before i get another one try and experiment have you know several of those editions uh, hopefully they're all cohesive in a way like, like that basically accelerates, uh, your, your work in the space and then how it's seen in, in this particular space. But I think it's important to have more variety because sometimes it just may not hit the right, uh, audience and you might be struggling for, for no reason whatsoever. It's really, really good advice. Um, and I know we've, I've, I've personally been talking with a few photographers and DMs and stuff with, um, you know, they're asking me strategies on, on what to do. And um, it is, it's, it's good to have this feeling like you, you're not trapped into, you have to sell out your very first, you know, everything has to be gone to zero before you can release something else because there is another piece in your archive or another piece that you just created new that um, really could land a, a much more easy with, with an audience that uh, really wants to support you and, and, and uh, loves your art. Uh, but maybe, maybe there's just uh, something, something different that you could put out there that would, would really land um, and make a, a better connection. So um, I like this new way of thinking. <laughs> it's giving me ideas too. Um, and um, I wanted to just throw it out there too. We, we have room on the speaker stage. If anyone out there has questions um, that, that you'd like to ask, we, you know, we're here. Um, Ev would, I'm sure, be happy to answer um, if you have any specific questions or even just general questions about what we've talked about so far, um, you know, this like three sort of tiers of collectors, 
um, and and sort of putting out work that addresses each of those three. You know, if you see yourself as someone who who has that uh, broad range of work, um, I see Dylan is asking to come up. I'm going to bring you up as a speaker. Will's to say once you get here. Um, but um, Ev, I was curious about what you did buy when you were at this gallery. Did you, did you go home with something um, that you that you bought at the gallery? Uh, that's a great question. No, I did not. But I uh, I photographed the works uh, and put it in my notes app to do more research and uh, took a card from the gallery because the gallery owner told me that first of all he's doing it for fun <laughs> uh, and that he has a, a few kind of like difficult years selling this which was uh, interesting to hear and um, that he would ship anything that I would like uh, to wherever I need to and so I kept his card and kept the names of the artists that I was interested in because there was there was actually like an artist with a, a line um, kind of like a pen line painting I'm not sure how to, to call it exactly and it was so fascinating. I'm like, wow, this looks like, you know, uh, like some of the uh, big NFT artists like Xcopy and a few others. And I'm like, this is really or, or the uh, Basquiat in a way. And I'm like, this is really exciting. I want to know more about this. Um, and so I'm actually, yeah, <laughs> I'm actually eyeing some of the uh, pieces from there. Um, that's for one. And then I got into a whole different rabbit hole with a few different art pieces that I will not share right now because I want to make sure that I get, I get them, but they're like physical artworks. And I never, I was never the one who would buy those. Um, cause when our family moved to Canada, we bought a whole bunch of Ikea prints and they were hanging on our walls for like over 10 years. And we never changed them. You know, the usual, the New York scene and then a taxi thing and some few other ones. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> I was growing up uh, surrounded by Ikea art. And by by now, I really, really want to escape that. So I don't have any more Ikea art uh, in my place. And I really want to have not only my photography, but also other artists. Um, I have one uh, art piece from a Sloka photographer, Myra. Uh, hanging on the wall, I have some kind of like fine arts uh, from a Toronto-based painter on the wall as well, framed, and a few other pieces that are mine, but eventually I will replace them with um, some of the artist works that I buy and support. So see that you're kind of exhibiting that collector behavior too. You know, you've been you've been introduced to the work, you've heard a little bit of the story of the artist and and now it's like stuck in your brain and it's like, uh, you know, you're, you're going to do more research. You're going to, uh, you know, kind of keep hanging on to I'm glad that you took photos of it so you can keep um, intending yourself to maybe pull the trigger one of these days and get the uh, again, get something shipped to you. So that's really exciting. That's really exciting. Um, OK, we've got Dylan all up here. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you, Dylan. Well, welcome to the Sloika Darkroom. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you uh, for going through all of the detailed, uh, I guess, everything that has to do with actually selling uh, as a photographer. It could not have come at a better time because I literally just set a bunch of uh, things in a collection to list on Monday. Um, and that's just really, really helpful to hear. And I think what really stood out to me was you talking about having work that is available, uh, not being sold out immediately whenever you list a piece. Because, uh, I mean, when you're shopping online or like I'm looking at an artist that I really love and I go to their website and I'm like, 
ah, crap, I really want this other piece from them, but I can't get the print because they did a you know very short period of it and now it's gone. Uh, but that's the piece that I like. Uh, and it's so true that like so many things don't resonate with people. So the more that you can have up, obviously tastefully, uh, is really good. And I feel like that's a little piece of encouragement uh, for people as well uh, to allow things to sit. So uh, thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, that, that's that's really good comment. Um, it is, I, I feel like the, the, the core part is that experimentation is still the core tenet of uh, what we're doing in Web3, especially in photography, because uh, photography is one of the youngest uh, arts that we have overall. Uh, well, not counting AI. I guess we should count AI now. Um, and so that experimentation that we're doing today is is super important. And yeah, whether it's, you know, people who started doing those free mints, uh, I think the very first one appeared just a few months ago. And now it's very, very common across uh, photographers that are doing more and more of this, that, you know, there was uh, an open edition, you mint as many as you want, but there's a time limit, or it's an edition of a thousand, and then the rest will be uh, burned or something like that. So there's a lot of this to try to get it in the hands of more and more people. Just to, and, and, you know, I treat it as a, a bit of a marketing and promotion. And obviously, like everybody likes free stuff. So, hey, why not? Uh, but also, the more people talk about, you know, you as an artist, the more uh, you have potential to be seen uh, in front of the collector. And that's the same story that happened to me uh, yesterday when I acquired another photo, uh, photo work. It was actually one-on-one. Uh, and I was surprised. I'm like, is it really? I was on my phone. And I, it was a retweet. I didn't follow the person. I never knew the person before. Uh, never talked to this person and I saw the retweet from somebody I even forgot who it was but like from somebody in my feed and I'm like oh this is actually very interesting I went immediately on OpenSea and I'm like you know what I'm buying this before others are buying this so I got this you know anxiety that like others will see this retweet and uh, buy buy before I could buy so uh, sometimes uh, it, it's really like this. Sometimes it, it's it's a bit of this randomness and serendipity that needs to happen. And so that's why we're telling, and others have been telling as well, retweets are free for now <laughs> on Twitter, uh, support fellow artists, and it helps uh, basically increase that visibility in overwhelmingly noisy feeds. And for me, that's how I find uh, uh, photos to collect. Um, when there's a shield thread or, or something like this happening, I'll need to make one of those soon enough. I would like to not have photographers or artists shield to me directly, but instead shield what they think is worth from other artists because that changes the equation of quality completely. So instead of having, you know, photographers, uh, just kind of like buy my work and, and it just looks a little bit busy and messy. Instead, if they're promoting what they bought or what they've discovered or what they think is worth, uh, the quality jumps dramatically. And I find that it's even more honest in a way. It's like, hey, I like this person, check it out. Uh, it actually increases participation and conversation around like what to buy. And so for me, a retweet from somebody on my feed was that, uh, reason to not a reason but like i discovered photographer and bought immediately within like a few minutes yeah that's something that i've thought a lot about uh 
and it's another relation to, you know, real life to social media and online is that in, you know, person, when you collect a piece of art, it's very difficult to show to somebody, uh, either you're posting a photo of it online, just on your wall, or you're waiting for somebody to come over and brag about, you know, what you've purchased. Um, and I feel like all of this has really just enabled not shilling or like people just showing off or like posting or spamming, you know, art pieces. It's that people now are able to just very easily and natively share online. And so with people collecting, I think that people, number one, like it may be vain, but like the idea of being known as a collector, because I mean, that's what it is. You're collecting art. Uh, and so the collectors become essentially cheerleaders for uh, any of the artists that they collect from. And so that's kind of been a mentality, not that I have sold anything and not that I have even put anything up for sale yet, but uh, just been thinking about it in a mentality of trying to find people who will purchase something and then go and promote it. Because the more collectors you have, the less you will have to do for yourself uh, because obviously they like your work and are you know happy to share it online. And uh, Twitter, because that's where the community is right now, it just makes it so easy and accessible uh, to rapidly look through a lot of different works. So uh, to me, that's very exciting to see uh, because, you know, as a kid, you love all these collectible cards and items and random things. And it sort of brings that childlike excitement back uh, and online because it's very tangible uh, and obviously immutable uh, on depending on the blockchain. But yeah, really cool. Sure. The collectible, be, the uh, being a collector is the thing that we've been doing uh, when we were hunting and gathering. So gathering part is the same as collecting. Just now that we are collecting JPEGs instead of uh, berries or, uh, you know, uh, other things to survive. Uh, it's probably more fun than being somewhere in the woods and uh, being dependent on collecting some berries or some fruits uh, or not. Uh, <laughs> That's really good. Good analogy. Um, so Dylan, I was I was just curious if there's anything that you heard today that um, that's going to like change your strategy a little bit. Um, if you, you said you're all set and ready to go for Monday, but um, like, I, I just I'm just curious if um, if you're kind of going, hmm, let me rethink that or do a little different or add a little something or anything like that. So I think part of it that lines up is I decided to come in at a slightly lower price point. I decided that before jumping into this space, but uh, like you were talking about, uh, there's a much larger amount of people who will purchase, even if it's the difference between 0.25 and 0.2 uh, ETH, it's, you know, a mental barrier for some people. So I've tried to do that. And Coming out of this space today, I would definitely say the uh, same exact thing about um, being able to have pieces that are sitting like once I release this, I already have plenty of other things that I'd like to proceed with and I'm excited about. But I definitely was like, OK, I should definitely wait a good amount of time before hopping in and doing anything else because I want to see a lot of these pieces go first. Um, but that really, the way you laid it out makes way more sense and is a good click in my brain to uh, just be able to proceed. So thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate it. And I followed you. <laughs> I think I think when when we have a, a kind of like nice conversation, it's it's definitely worth a follow. So if, if yeah, and it seems like Dylan, you're fairly new to the space. So I'm sure you'd appreciate a few more followers coming your way.
Um, yeah, no, that means a lot. Thank you. It's a good start, I guess. Yeah, so I would love to get us um, to start wrapping up. Um, I just wanted to remind that before you know getting to the space, we actually wrote a bit of an article. Um, so if you are uh, curious just to have this in a written form, a little bit about the collectors and kind of like thinking uh, about the strategies, uh, this is something that... Um, came from observations as the platform builders, so building Sloika, and we're seeing a lot more uh, as we look at other marketplaces. So that is one important data point or like data points that we get, but also actually being in the weeds of things and being uh, a both uh, collector, photographer, uh, you know, building new things. Uh, finding what are this and like we you know we would advise uh, about a variety of those things uh, over the last year or so, and sometimes it, it's uh, you know it's targeted for uh, quote unquote like an average consumer. Uh, the reason for this is that we we're seeing the data in aggregate, and obviously when you start to and practice, you'll you'll say like, oh, this actually doesn't work for me because of this, this, and this, and that's totally fine. Like we, you know, there's no expectation that this is the uh, the ultimate solution to all of the like, uh, you know, sales uh, and marketing. Because if everybody's doing the same marketing, then well, it resembles kind of like there's no way of standing out. So use this as just the beginner beginning layer, I guess to start crafting your own strategy. And when you see other artists in the space that have been uh, successful, try to see kind of like not, not only the visible parts, but try to figure out what might be these invisible parts that you don't see in uh, uh, like, you know, in the DMs uh, that might be happening or kind of like, you know, things that might look different and try to basically kind of like unpack it and understand like what might go into this. And, you know, for some particular photographers that I found, they might be new to Web3, but they would have like 25 years of experience with like massive publications in Web2 or even Web1 before the internet was even around uh, for most people. And so that becomes more clear. It's like, aha, okay, <laughs> that makes sense to me. Uh, and so... Uh, part of the strategy, yeah, if you're interested to learn more, please sign up. It's loiko.xyz slash subscribe. That's our newsletter. Um, we are putting this together between myself and Pam. So uh, highlighting other artists and also trying to make it as useful as possible to artists that are new to the space or to artists that have been in a space and just need a spark of um, kind of like a motivational spark to say to uh, to get you to the next level. I think uh, let's just say thanks to everyone for joining us today in the Sloika Darkroom. And uh, we will uh, wish everyone a happy weekend and hope we'll see you all back here on Monday. Um, we'll be here in the Sloika Darkroom at 12 noon Eastern um, talking about something inspirational. <laughs> we like to get together and kick off our Mondays, kick off our weeks with uh, talking about uh, what inspires us or uh, like what, what we're looking forward to. Um, maybe something uh in, in the inspirational category like that. So I hope we'll see you all back then. It's an open mic, um, anyone can join and we'll look, look forward to uh, just getting together as a community with you guys on Monday. Um, Ev, thank you so much for all this great information and um, I, uh, I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great weekend. Thanks everybody for being here, I appreciate it. See you guys on Monday, bye for now.